Hey everybody, welcome back to another edition of Bavarian Podcast Works. This is Chuck Smith and I'm here to bring you the Bavarian Podcast Works flagship show. Normally I am not the one hosting this, but due to all of the holiday craziness, the break in Bayern Munich action, it's me. It's just me and I'm flying solo on this one and I'm happy to be doing it. I hope you have all been enjoying this downtime from Bayern Munich as stressful as the season can be for some people and as hectic as it can be in life being thrown into the mix as you try and follow Bayern Munich. I know everybody can use some downtime and yeah, sometimes it gets a little bit boring, but it's nice to have the winter pause here. And I think it gave the fan base a collective chance to sit back, relax, ponder how the first half went and start to get that excitement brewing for the second half for the players, I know they needed to be recharged with the way Thomas Tuchel ran some of them into the ground. Uh, they definitely needed the time off. And if you follow any of them on social media, it's been interesting to see how they've been spending their time, uh, what they did on New Year's or at the holidays. Of course, we saw Alfonso Davies at the next game, which unfortunately for him, yeah, I guess he's a Knicks fan. <laughs> but um, either way, it is a welcome respite from the craziness that happens during the season. And I talk about the, the craziness in a collective sort of manner because it's not just life and work and kids and every other hobby you have and whatever else you do. You then have this really just up and down swings of emotions, uh, fandom of Bayern Munich where you are following day to day, you are living and dying with the game. So it's nice to step back. I'll admit that. And I got a chance to do a little bit of that over this break. You know, we kept the site up and running. We kept the podcast going. I know this one's coming out a little bit late, but given that it was New Year's Day, we wanted to uh, give everybody a little bit of a break. Uh, I, you know, we kept the site moving. It's We kept our normal schedule. So we didn't really slow down because with Bayern Munich news doesn't slow down, but you probably got a steady dose of me because I've been doing a little bit more writing than normal. But, uh, you know, our staff has really just done just an awesome job of stepping up and keeping our schedule, because when we do that, I think it helps keep the discussions going. It helps everybody get a chance to follow the latest news. We're doing a, a really good job of staying on top of everything. And when you're on top of it and you're following it and you have all the latest breakdowns, you can have good discussions about it. And after all, that's why we are all at BFW side of that, though, I did I did something cool and uh I took my family. I have a couple of kids that are really into like animals and zoos, that kind of thing. So we went to uh, a wolf sanctuary in Lidditz, PA. Now, it was cool for a number of reasons. One, you get to walk around, you see all of the, the wolves in their habitat and they have their own areas. And it was nice to learn about them. It was actually a really cool setup. It was on about 140 acres, but I think they only used about 40 to 50 of, of those for the wolf sanctuary. But it was actually really cool. I uh, got to spend the day in an area that's closer to central PA than where I live. I am, uh, of course, right outside of Philadelphia. So uh, going out to central PA, I guess it was more like eastern Lancaster County, uh, going through a couple of different smaller towns out there. Our guy, Marcus Iredal knows very well about intercourse PA. Uh, unfortunately, he also knows a lot about bird in hand PA. So uh, with him, you know, and it's also close to climax PA, which is crazy that all of those towns are right in the general area there. But that's why Marcus was probably spending so much time there. Uh, anyway, uh, back to my day. So we went to Lititz, which I kept calling Lititz just to piss my wife off, which was successful. Uh, then we then hit this place that was really cool called the Brickerville House or Brick 
yeah, something like that, the Brickerville House. And uh, it was it was really, really good. A good little restaurant, home style food. So I enjoyed my New Year's Eve. That's what we did uh, on a personal note. Uh, a little different than my normal Sundays, but that that is how we spent that New Year's Eve. I am no longer and haven't been for a while on the team of going out and getting tanked on New Year's. I had many, many years of doing that and many, many years of waking up with a hangover. So I uh, haven't done that in a while. Uh, I wouldn't say I've slowed down as much as I've gotten a little bit more reasonable in my old age. It's just not worth it to me. Uh, the crowds are crazy. And I don't know. I just kept it low key and was happy to do so. I've got a pretty crazy schedule throughout the year. So I was really happy to to have a little bit of a slower period here. But enough about me. You're not here to hear about what I'm doing and what my social life is, of course. But I hope it did allow you to get inside BFW a little bit to hear about the things that we do when we're not on the site. Uh, but you know, some of the things that, that I got a chance to think about and having this downtime was, was a good opportunity to think about where this team is going, what it needs to do. And there were a couple of things that I thought really struck me. And I thought of three things that I think would really help get this fan base unified for the second half of the season. Things have really become divided in the pro-Tuchel camp and the anti-Tuchel camp. I have started to really lean toward the anti-Tugel camp. Now, I am not a far-right extremist anti-Tugel person where I want him fired right now, but I think he's really making a lot of decisions that are pushing that way where he's going to put himself in jeopardy. And I think this has been a very familiar pattern for him throughout all of his coaching tenures. He has this way of grinding on people, not just the team, but also executives, fans, everyone. And he, I just don't think he can help himself. And sometimes he ignores the obvious. So a couple of things that I thought would help get everybody back on board and maybe solve this border war we have going on here with the pro Tuchels and the anti Tuchels, you know, hashtag Tuchel out, whatever you want to call yourselves. Uh, you know, as I said, I'm sort of now leaning on that team uh, where I don't necessarily want him fired yet, but I'm getting there. And if things don't improve, it's it's going to be hard for me to to justify saying he should keep his gig at the end of the season. But let's let's talk about a couple of those points. Uh, one of the things I think would, that would really help out and would get everybody a little more unified behind Tuchel is better player rotations. I think too often Tuchel just relied on the same set of players over and over again to the point where I do think it hurt him at the end of the season. End of the first half of the season, I should say. Uh, Leroy Sané just looked dogged and tired. At times, Harry Kane looked very lethargic. Uh, we saw different periods where Kim Min-Jae and Daya Upamakana were not only banged up, but looked a step slower in certain games. And it's not that these players automatically fell out of shape or they got worse. It's just they accumulate so much mileage between Bayern Munich and their international duties. It, it, it just... It grinds on him. It wears them down. And I think Tuchel's got to be a little bit better at managing that. He really did start to really sink into a hole of depending on only a small segment of the team and leaving others on the bench who could have helped him. Yeah, I, I think Thomas Muller, had he been used more, could have helped alleviate some of the stress that you put on Leroy Sané or Jamal Musiala or even Harry Kane. I think that when you have three wings like Sané, Coman, and Serge Gnabry, you probably need to rotate them a little bit better. And, and I know, listen, Gnabry was not good in the first half of the season. I'm not going to try and convince you that he was. 
I've been very lukewarm on Gnabry this season. I don't think Byron should be looking to sell him, but I can see how the situation is going to go with him where it could lead into that direction. Gnabry is, is a very good player. I think he is a very productive player. Is he perfect? No, but is he good enough to be on Bayern Munich and become a, or be a part of this attack? Absolutely. I don't think he's had the best season for a number of reasons. I think he, of course, he's been a little bit banged up. I think as we've seen in the past, his confidence is a little bit rattled under Tuchel. I think he needed this break way more than most people. And I think that he is in a good spot to rebound. And if he can, and he can get back to that level that we've seen him in the past, it's going to help Tuchel have that confidence. I think Thomas Muller playing at the end of the first half helped Tuchel realize what he can still bring to the mix. And that was a big thing because it allowed Tuchel to be a little bit more flexible with his formation about where he played players. And, and to me, a huge part of that was using Musiala in a wider position, which I think helps him immensely. I think he's just better out wide, whether he plays as a wing or as a wide midfielder in a 4-4-2, it doesn't really matter because he gets more space. He's able to create more offense from those wider positions. I don't know why Nagelsmann and Tuchel insist on playing him in the middle. I have mostly theorized that because he holds a grandstanding with both Bayern Munich and the German national team, that he is dictating where he wants to play and where he wants to play is as a central number 10. I think he would help the team more in a wider role right now. And if that meant him rotating more, playing a little bit less, then I'm okay with that because a fresh, healthy, vibrant Jamal Musiala is better than a worn, haggard, and unconfident one. And we've seen that Musiala more often than not in the last 12 months. And I want to see that that kid that came burst onto the scene, the one that was so electric that you couldn't take your eyes off him when he was on the pitch. We haven't seen that kid a lot in the last 12 months. And I want to see him and I think he needs more rest and the play in a wider position to get there. But if, if Tuchel can master those attacking ones, if he can work in Alexander Pavlovich or whoever they pick up in the January transfer window in the midfield and rotate a little bit more, maybe you can keep Joshua Kimmich fit. Maybe you can keep him from accumulating all of that mileage himself because we know Kimmich will run himself into the ground. Maybe balancing Leon Goretzka's workload keeps him healthy and uninjured. Those are all little things that I think would matter. And, you know, being able to slide Conrad Limer between the midfield and right back, I think would help, uh, you know, Tuchel's hands were tied a little bit in the first half of the season with that. He had to play Limer a lot at right back because of injuries to Nassar Mizrahi and of course, Bunasar, who somehow was not playing, then was kind of playing and then towards ACL, which is, I, I mean, like, what better way can you describe his career as that? Because he has barely played, has earned a decent amount, and has really drawn the ire from some fans because it was a wasteful signing. But in the end, I mean, listen, he showed up for work every day. He didn't complain. He did his job. So I guess there's not much bad you can say about Sar. But when you look at the back line, you've got Rafael Guerrero who can play for Alfonso Davies. You've got Matthijs De Ligt, who I think you absolutely should be rotating with Dio Upamakano and Kim Min-Jay. Now, we know Kim Min-Jay will be out. He'll be on international duty soon. But when you have those players, I'm not saying it's the best depth, but it's good enough to rotate and keep people fresh. You get the team to buy into that. And I think Hansi Flick, did that very well when he was at Bayern Munich. 
getting them to buy into every move making sense, getting them to buy into the fact that they're staying fresh for bigger goals, for bigger games later in the season. I think it goes a long way in convincing those players to, to maybe shake off when they, when they start to feel a little bit anxious or unhappy about their standing. Plus they're all playing a little bit more. If you're rotating it, sure. Some bigger name starters might play a little bit less, but in general, the team will be playing more. Those big name players who you don't like to take off, they're going to remain more fresh if they're getting rested more. I just think Tuchel has to do that. Have better player rotations. More fans will get behind them because those fans that that are you know following players who aren't getting a lot of playing time, they're going to be a little bit, I guess, their anxiousness will be quelled a little bit because the people they're supporting will be on the pitch a little bit more. Another thing that I think needs to happen for Bayern Munich to really establish itself and get the fans fully behind them is this team needs to get past the quarterfinals. They need to at least make the Champions League semifinals. And that's maybe sounds like, I mean, you might be thinking, well, duh, they should make that every year minimum. And I think you're right. But this is a team that has not gotten past the quarterfinals. This is a team that I hate to say this because I've been harping on this too for months. They're not passing the eye test. They're passing the record test. Their record is great. I mean, they're great in the Bundesliga. They're, they've been great in the Champions League. This is a very good team that gets results. But when you're watching them, you're seeing those things that just leap off the screen and they tell you this team is going to be in trouble against Real Madrid or Man City. And in the end, those are the two that you have to compare your, your team against. doesn't matter about Liverpool. Sorry, Tom Adams. It doesn't matter about FC Barcelona. You need to compare yourself against Real Madrid and Man City. And right now, Bayern Munich is not playing a style that is going to be conducive to beating either of those two teams. We have seen the team look electric at points, but not enough. And that consistency and that sometimes that lethargy that sets in their attack and the sloppiness that sometimes paints their defense and the, the lack of press resistance or forced passing or bad decisions that we might see in the midfield, those things have been more prevalent at different periods over the course of the first half of the season than in the past. And because of that, I watch this team and I say they are not ready at this point. They are not ready as good as I think they are they are not ready to compete against Real Madrid and Manchester City. So what I need to see and what I think fans would need to see is this team start to rally, start to pass the eye test a little bit more, start to shake off some of those deficiencies, make it to the semifinals. And if you lose, it's okay because it's a building block because I don't think the peak of this group of Bayern Munich players is now. I actually think it's next year. Now, granted, I'm taking a chance because this could all be blown up next summer if Tuchel alienates people and they want to leave. But I think if Tuchel can follow the better rotations, if he can if he can integrate those, if he can get this team and push it into the, the Champions League semifinals, it will go a long way to retaining some of those players who might be thinking about asking for a transfer over the summer. Those would be two big things that would absolutely... 100%, I think, get fans behind them. Finally, and this one is very, very obvious, but it's also not a foregone conclusion. Bayern needs to win the Bundesliga. If they don't win the Champions League, which I don't think they will, and they've already been booted out of the Pokal, which was an embarrassment, they need to win the Bundesliga. 
And, and I think most people, most fans think that that should happen, that Bayer Leverkusen, there's no way they can keep this form and stay this hot over the course of a full season. And you're probably right. Leverkusen has not hit that ditch yet. You know it's coming. Every team hits it at one point or another. It's how they get themselves out of it. Bayern Munich has hit it a couple of different times. They've had some low lows. Bayer Leverkusen is not yet. And I think Leverkusen, as it stands right now, is obviously the main competition for Bayern Munich. Borussia Dortmund is an outright mess. I don't know what they're doing over there. Bringing in your coach's replacement and making him an assistant coach essentially was, that was something. That, I don't, if I was a Dortmund fan right now, I'd be like, just torch the rest of the season because there's so much now wrong with that setup that I don't know how you can even think it's going to work out. You had a failed coup. You have the coach's successor essentially being brought in already. And you've got just an underachieving team that has never once looked like the type of team that could challenge for the Bundesliga this season. You've got Stuttgart, which is now starting to fade. I was waiting for this for a while. Stuttgart is a great story. They've got some good and talented players. They just don't have enough. They don't have the depth. And overall, they're going to start to drop more and more games against teams that they shouldn't. So I think by that point, they'll level off. I'm not saying they'll fall out of the top six, but I, I don't think that they're going to be able to sustain a run toward the top of the table at any point. The dark horse for me right now, and it's not going to be Frankfurt, who is making some crazy personnel changes and, and actually could be the type of team that rebounds and has a great second half. But the team that's a dark horse, and they really shouldn't be because of the talent level on the team is RB Leipzig. They haven't hit their stride yet. It's a tough spot for Marco Rosa because he's got so much talent on that roster and he's struggling to figure out how to make it all work together. And it, it's, it's, I have to be honest, I don't know how he's doing it. They have good players coming in and out, and all of those players have expectations. I mean, Leipzig is a very weird club in terms of the types of talent that comes in, the types of loans they take. They just sent Carvajal back to uh, to Liverpool. So, I mean, there is so much. Car Carvalho, uh, I'm probably butchering his name, but either way, uh, they are a squad that that is just just with an overabundance of good players. And it's up to Rosa to figure out how he can make that work. If he starts to push the right buttons, that Leipzig team could be extremely dangerous. And they could be the type of team that if Bayern starts to slip up or Leverkusen hits one of those pitfalls, they could be a team that sneaks into that mix. But right now it's a two-horse race with Arbe Leipzig on the outside looking in. Bayern Munich has to make its move. They have to make the move to overtake Leverkusen. They have to take advantage of anything Leverkusen does when they have a misstep, Bayern has to take advantage of it. They have to win the games when Leverkusen loses or draws. It's just the way it has to be. And when they meet up head-to-head, -head, Bayern Munich is going to have to take care of business. They can't afford to draw. They can't afford to drop points in any way. Bayern's going to have to show that it's the better team. And if they don't do that, when they match up with Bayern Leverkusen one-on-one, then... This could really be the year that Bayern folds and, and loses its place atop the Bundesliga, which would really be crazy. And it would, it would really remind me of that Modest Yahoo song, King Without a Crown, because that's what Bayern Munich would be. They would be the king of the Bundesliga, but they wouldn't have the crown. So uh, those three things, better player rotations, make the Champions League semifinals and win the Bundesliga. Those are the three things that I think need to happen 
for fans to get behind Tuchel, for the majority of fans to get behind Tuchel. Listen, as I said, there's always going to be that far, I'm saying far right, right wing extremist, whatever. I'm kind of having some fun with that terminology, but there are going to be those people who are, are so far on one side of getting rid of Tuchel, you can't convince them. Conversely, there's always going to be the Tuchel can do no wrong crowd, which is sometimes very annoying to me because I think a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, I'm pretty fair about looking at him. And I and I tried to do this in our BFW roundtable was communicate that he deserves credit for winning the games. But as I've said, the eye test is telling us there are problems and there are reasons for those problems that he is not addressing or fixing. And if he doesn't do that, it, ultimately Byron's not going to get where they want to be. So. Hey, I, I think those are the three things that can that can really unify us as a Bayern Munich fan base. I'm not saying everybody will agree in the BFW comments, but uh, it would be a, a something that would really be a kumbaya moment for us all. So uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back. We're going to take a look at some of the players who have been linked to transfer rumors and talk about their situations and the likelihood that they could leave. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Bavarian Podcast Works flagship show. This is Chuck Smith flying solo on this mission to bring you our podcast. Uh, again, recording this on New Year's Day. It's been a pretty hectic time for everyone. So appreciate you taking the time to listen to this and hopping on to Spotify or Apple or wherever you, re you get your podcasts because we appreciate it. And we know that, uh, you know, it's a busy time of year for everyone. So, you know, taking the time to listen to this and check out our site, we we definitely appreciate that. But in this last segment of the show, I wanted to talk about the future and what is going on with some of the players that we've seen, uh, specifically some players that could be impacted by this summer. I mean, some of the players, they have contracts expiring. We'll take a look at them. We'll take a look at some of the 2025 contract expirations who those are probably more important to discuss, but we'll go right down the list because those players are going to end up being the ones who determine everything uh, because quite frankly, it's a better, more talented group in the 2025 class there. Uh, and, and Byron's going to have to get to work and get those players extended. So let's take a, let's just, why waste any more time? Let's, Get right to it. Uh, the two players that have contracts expiring this summer are Eric Maxim, Chupo Moting, and Bunasar. Obviously, Bunasar is not coming back. There's no reason to bring him back. Eric Maxim, Chupo Moting is an interesting case. I think they kind of need to move on from him. You have Thomas Muller through 2025. You have Matisse Tell. I think you have attackers that you can use. I know Chupo has a function, and I think he's been very, very good in his role at Bayern Munich. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better backup striker than what Chupo Moting has been able to do during his time at Bayern. But I do think it's time for him to move on. And I think in the right circumstance or right environment, he could still be a starting player on a lot of teams. And and maybe that's maybe that's appealing to him. Maybe being on a team like Bayern and chasing trophies is, is appealing. I don't know. I do think Bayern will have the discussion with him. And I think that there's a way that he could come back. It would have to be on Bayern's terms and in, in terms of money. I don't know how eager Chubo is to take a pay cut, but if he really likes being where he's at, if he likes being in the locker room, he could be the kind of player that Byron could get on the cheap and would be a good solid locker room presence as long as he doesn't have any expectations for playing time. As we said, Saar, he's got to go. He really 
brought nothing to the table. <laughs> uh, but hey, it was a good guy, I guess. Um, the 2025 class, though, that's where it gets very, very interesting. We just did see Thomas Muller extend his contract. So he's pushed in the 2025. Manuel Neuer is 2025. You don't really need to do anything with those two players. Sven Ulreich is another one. He's also in 2025. Those three you can push off until midway through next year, to be honest. Um, Ulreich, it really depends on what he wants and what Byron wants. You have options. You have Daniel Peretz. I don't think that Alexander Nubel wants to come back to Bayern Munich for anything. You have some younger goalkeepers that you could potentially start to have as depth players on the squad. But I think Neuer really likes Ulrich. I think he likes having that security blanket. And I think the club likes Ulrich. Ulrich's been a top-notch player, top-notch locker room guy. In a lot of ways, he's like Eric Maxim Chupomoting in that he's popular and that he he fills a specific role. And it's tough because it's a very tight role that he fills. And if if Byron decides that Peretz is ready to be the backup, then I think Ulrich goes. But I think the more likely scenario is that Daniel Peretz gets loaned out. Sven Ulreich backs up Manuel Neuer uh, at least through 2025. And then, you know, at that point, if, if Byron can get Peretz playing time in the 24-2025 season, then you might be able to see what he, where he's at in his development and if he'll be ready to be the official backup behind Neuer. Either way, I think Ulreich could end up playing and staying with Bayern Munich through 2026. Uh Yashua Kimmich. <laughs> Kimmich has been a very popular figure in the transfer market. Manchester United, Real Madrid, FC Barcelona, Liverpool, Manchester City. Uh, they're all interested in him. We've even heard that he could go to Saudi Arabia, which sounds like total nonsense and probably is. But I, I look at Kimmich and I say everything about him is in the possibility of transferring over the course of this summer is going to be determined by how Tuchel handles him and what the team does in the next 30 days or so. If they go out and get a six, and that is going to be the six that Tuchel rides, I think it's going to be one of those situations where Kimmich might push the button on leaving this summer. Uh, it's not that he would be scared to compete with Leon Gretzka or anything like that or compete with the new six in. But I think with what we've seen from Tuchel and how he's handled things when he gets new players, they're coming in and they're playing. And he's going to give them the opportunity. And it's going, even if it's at the risk of pushing people aside who are established players here. So I, I think in the end, what will happen with Tuchel is that he'll get this six. And if it's the six that he wants, AKA Jao Polina, then Kimmich is going to be playing a lot of the eight, which is going to push Leon Goretzka out of the lineup, which will be interesting because Goretzka has been very good this season. Goretzka, by the way, has a contract that expires in 2026. So, you're not quite in the rush with Goretzka to, to figure that out as you are with Kimmich. But if Kimmich doesn't like how his situation smells, I could totally see him pushing his way out. And Tuchel's going to have to be very cautious with how he handles that. He has already criticized Kimmich through the media without giving direct quotes, right? Like he has talked about wanting a certain type of player. He's described the kind of player he wants at that position. When you're talking about wanting a six and Kimmich considers himself a six. You're saying I want to replace Kimmich. Let's 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 do the math on it. It's not hard to figure out. And I don't blame Kimmich for being a little bit pissed about it. Honestly, he should be. He's an established player. He should feel like his job is threatened. Absolutely, he should. And how he handles it and reacts to it, we'll see in the coming weeks. But I think that 
Tuchel and Kimmich are not aligned. No matter what we hear and what we see, they're going to, each of them are going to put out quotes in the next six weeks to talk about, actually probably next three weeks, to talk about how much admiration they have for each other, how they like working with each other, and that they have full trust in each other. That's total nonsense. Total, total nonsense. So Kimmich is one that is, I believe, going to be determined by how Tuchel handles him. I would say right now, there's a pretty solid chance uh, that he's going to strongly consider transferring. I'm not ready to commit to saying that he's going to transfer because I need to see what happens. And I, like to me, I think this is all still going to end up with Kimmich and Gretzka playing together as that double pivot. But what do I know? Uh, Leroy Sané, one that does not get talked about a lot. Sané has been linked to a return to Manchester City, to Real Madrid, and to Liverpool. And also to FC Barcelona as well. I mean, these are all loose, loose links. We do know that Jurgen Klopp likes Sané. We know that Pep Guardiola likes Sané. And we can imagine that Real Madrid and FC Barcelona could easily find places to play Sané. That, that's not a deal. Sané is a terrific talent. Pretty damn good player, right? I mean, let's be honest. He had a fantastic first half of the season. Did trail off a little at the end, but still was very, very good overall. Sané is one of Tuchel's boys. He is one of his guys. He is of that new group. Uh, Sané and Harry Kane kind of lead the Tuchel's, hashtag Tuchel's boys. Um, Tuchel can't stop talking about Sané and Harry Kane. So Sané, I, I, I feel like he's going to get everything he wants from Bayern Munich. I think he's got the support of the coach, the support of the club. I think he's going to get paid whatever he wants, essentially. Will he be able to resist maybe a slightly higher salary from Liverpool or any of those other clubs? Will he be able to resist one more run at that massive spotlight that you get playing in the Premier League or the prestige that you get for playing one of those top playing at one of those top two clubs in Spain? That's going to be the determining factor with him. Does he have that itch to, to try it, to just go go for it all one more time abroad? I don't know if Sané does everything we read about. It's that his family is happy in Bavaria. That he's happy. So if that's the case, I, I would say that there's a good chance that Sané will stick around. The last 2025 that, that we'll talk about is Alfonso Davies. This one is the hardest to judge. I mean, again, you're talking about Real Madrid, Liverpool, Man City being the types of clubs that have been linked to him. Davies has hit a plateau at Bayern Munich. He has not really progressed the way that I think a lot of fans would like to see. I don't put that on Bayern, though. I put it on him. <laughs> I think Bayern has given him every opportunity. I think they've given him flexibility with his position, flexibility with his coaches. He's been given the benefit of the doubt. If he's going to improve, it's going to have to be on his terms and it's going to have to be done by him. So if Davies wants to achieve that superstar, that megastar, that stratosphere level that, that he has not quite gotten to yet, he's going to have to make some sacrifices. He's going to have to get better. And the good thing for him is he's got the ability and the aptitude to do it. So if he wants that, he will get there. But I don't know if Davies wants to put that work in or if he wants to chase stardom. He wants to chase clicks. He wants to chase views. Davies is maybe Bayern Munich's first world star in terms of he is the next generation of star where social media and YouTube and, and your public profile matters. Now, Robert Lewandowski, thought he was that guy but 
Lewandowski was more the MySpace version of that. Like he's just a little bit too old to capitalize on that market and didn't really have the name recognition among younger fans. Didn't have the high profile profile girlfriend at one point like Davies did. So while while Lewandowski thought he was that kind of guy, he never was. But Davies is. Davies is that young kid who not just like the younger generation can relate to because he's come up with all the same stuff they have. He's he is that generation in every way. Uh, he he's recognizable. He's making that name for himself and building that brand. And if that's what he cares about, then his next move this summer absolutely will be to Spain or to England, where he can capitalize on the platforms that they offer and build his brand, something that Lewandowski just wasn't the right age to do. And quite frankly, just not famous enough to do. Uh, Davies is the person that can get there. He can do that. So to me, with Davies, it comes down to this. Does he want to win trophies and take his game to the highest level it can be and stay at Bayern Munich? Or does he want to build his brand and move on? Now, there's nothing to say that he can't move on and still reach his peak. But I think the platforms and the fame that can be found in Spain and England would probably be a deterrent to him reaching his absolute peak. Uh, so for me, it, it is very obvious. Like if Davies has a choice to make. And whatever he decides, I think, is going to determine what his legacy ends up being. Uh, you know, if he wants to be a really good player who has a, a global brand, great. If he wants to be a world-class top flight player who pushes his absolute ability to the max, then he'll stay at Bayern Munich. That's how I feel. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but that's that's the way I see it playing out. So a lot of interesting situations with Bayern Munich, especially on the roster with some of those players. I'm very eager to see how this plays out in the coming months because how Tuchel works with some of these players, it's absolutely going to be uh, it's going to be very telling. And I think how the interactions go between Tuchel and the players and how he uses the players, it's going to determine what happens with the future. So. That'll about wrap things up. I'm not going to hit on some of the entertainment things that I've been working on. You can catch those in the weekend warm-up podcast later in the week where I'll detail you where I'm at with Fargo, detail where I'm at in my odyssey to watch the Marvel movies. So made a lot of progress on that because I've been staying up way too late this week because I haven't had work. So um, we will do all of that on the weekend warm-up. So appreciate you guys checking in. You can always get me at the Barrel Blog on Twitter. You can get the site at Bavarian FB Works. You can get our Tweetmeister, Tom Adams, who should get his butt on a podcast soon, at Tommy Adams 71 You can get I Need No Name at BFWINNN. You can get Siler at CYL3R. Get all of our great podcasters and writers at BavarianFootballWorks.com. As I've said, we appreciate all of the downloads of the podcast. All of the views you give our stories on the site, and we love the interactions and the comments that you guys give there. So much appreciated. Have a great week. I'll be checking in with you later for the weekend warm up podcast toward the end of the week, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>